Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. All right, so it's Matthew, Will, and we have a special guest, the conservative hippie. I don't go anonymously out in the universe. I am Jay Frat. I'm a real person. <laughs> I even use my real name on Twitter, at Jay Frat. I keep it real simple, but I like to be a real person out in the universe, out in the Twitter sphere, out in the digital space as well. So should we call you Jay or? You can call me Jay. You can, I mean, it's weird to say, hey, conservative hippie. That's my moniker I created, but you know, I am Jay Frat, your Will and Matthew. Did I mm -hmm. just mess things up by interjecting? No, no, of okay. course not. Because I can be quiet. Okay. <laughs> and now I shall be silent. <laughs> so for our opening problem of the show, we're discussing abortion. Abortion has been a long divisive topic in American social and political circles. And the resulting divide is one of the truly all or nothing propositions with pro-choice and pro-life being squarely in one party or the other. The country has tilted more pro-life, but pro-choice proponents continue to say it is a vital human right for women. And so for the question of today's show, we say, is abortion easily solved? Matthew, would you introduce our guest? I'd absolutely love to. Today we have Jay Fratt, described as the conservative hippie. And the moniker comes from noticing that a lot of people would describe themselves as fiscally conservative and socially liberal. A lot of people in the middle of the country, in the middle of the debates that are going, would describe themselves as such. So that struck a chord with him. He's come up with this moniker, and we're very excited to have him on today to tackle these two subjects. Uh, you can find him on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, on YouTube. His Twitter is the conservative hippie at Jay Frat. And yep, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Also, theconservativehippie.com. That's me. I self-publish, and that's where I can be found as well. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, theconservativehippie.com. It's a great website. You can find a lot of explanation about what he's about. So I guess we can roll right in here uh, to our opening question here, which is just give us your position on abortion. My position on abortion personally is I'm pro-choice. You know what? Let me try to start, start it this way. I was telling my employee today that I was really excited to be on the Blue State Conversations with Matthew and William I really like your guys' podcast. I like the thoughtfulness that you guys apply to each issue that you discuss. And I told her, I said, I'm going to be talking about abortion. And she said to me, oh, are you for or against? And that's Ooh. kind of the way the introduction went as well. And I said to her, well, I'm both. And I think that that's part of the problem is that it is this issue when it's presented to the public as for or against. But as every issue, it's not black or white. There's a lot of nuance in the middle. And I think most people fall in that middle ground. And that's where I approach it because you guys are fairly conservative. Is that correct? Like, you know, constitutional and freedom and, and all of that. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, I fall uh, lib right on the uh, political compass. So, yeah, fairly conservative. I describe myself. Okay. I would describe myself the way that you were introduced as fiscally conservative and socially moderate. Sometimes I don't go quite as far as saying socially liberal because there are plenty of liberal stances where I'm like, yeah, not quite. <laughs> so with this, and basically we're just common sense. What we're saying by that is we're not going to buy into the dogma of any particular side, especially nowadays. We've got these teams where if you 
believe one thing, well, that automatically means you believe all these other things in this particular camp, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that divisiveness that my show is trying to fight, your show is trying to fight. And, you know, a lot of common ground can be found in the middle. But for some reason, we are pulled apart and have to choose these black, white issues. Okay, so I started out with, okay, so if you're conservative and, and you care about civil rights and you care about freedom and things like that, well, you absolutely have to respect the right of a woman and her body, okay? In that same vein, you absolutely at some point have to respect the life of a child. And we just have to figure out where that point is. Because you can be pro-choice, meaning, hey, I respect that woman's right to get a surgical procedure, to get that zygote or that what will become a future baby, take that out of her body, as well as you can say, hey, that's a living thing in your body, and I don't think you should have the right to kill that. We just have to decide where that is, and I think that that discussion is blocked. I think it's blocked by this modern marketing of politics where they keep people in these divisive groups. So, for example, I laugh at, and I apologize if I offend anybody, but the concept of life at conception, I consider to be laughable. That's just silly. And the marketers, the Bernays-style marketers that really want your money and really want you spending money in politics, on the left side, they'll say, oh, all these people are trying to take away your right to get an abortion. These lunatics think uh, life starts at conception, and they build that camp, that narrative, that all of them think that life starts at conception and they want to take away your rights. That's how they earn money. The opposite side, they say, oh, these lunatics, these people that believe in partial birth abortion, they want to rip the baby from the womb right before birth. They want to have that ability, okay? And they market to the right side to get all that money coming into politics. I think that's the simplest answer is to me, it's an ongoing issue because they can fundraise so much from such a divisive issue. But it's right in the middle. There are solutions in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you touched on a little bit where you're talking about how there's people who market these extreme positions to both sides. And so I guess a question that a lot of people will have, because usually everyone's in one camp or the other, it's very rare to hear somebody that, that argues for the middle. Right? Most of the arguments that I have are either they're pro-choice or they're pro-life. And even in the pro-life side, there's really only an argument over whether rape and incest gets included. There's really not much argument beyond that. Everyone really agrees on the conception if you're on pro-life and just maybe rape and incest shouldn't be included. And then if you're a pro-choice, it's really whether it's going to be nine months or six months. There's really not like a lot of wiggle room for arguments. So I guess the question I would want to ask is what are the most egregious errors that are made by pro-life actors in Europe? By pro-life actors. Meaning you know, people I, who are out there pushing the pro-life viewpoint. Well, life let me just take what you said there. And you say that, hey, you know, I don't come across this very often. These people talking about in the middle. Usually you say, I, I, think, I think that's the way it's framed. I think we just fell victim to it in this conversation. What would you say if I think that the pro-choice movement has already won and it's perpetuated by these camps still, you know, forcing to these extremes like, oh, well, pro-choice 
means everything, abortion all the way through to birth, right? Oh, oh, uh, uh, people who are against abortion, they think no abortions can exist. That's just not factually true. Most mm -hmm. people are in the middle. I was doing a little bit of research because I wanted to have some facts coming in here in the Blue State Conversations. And <laughs> even the National Right to Life Committee allows for exceptions. Okay, there's already a conversation where um, there's some middle ground that can be had. And so when I was talking about the marketing of it all, I think that those boxes, those camps, I really think that that's just a panopticon that keeps people, that keeps the fundraisers going, keeps the issue divisive, just moving forward to basically solidify a base. So, you know, the Republicans benefit because most of the pro-lifers are in that camp and they want to keep them there because, you know, what an important thing to fight for, the life of a child. And then the pro-choicers, they want to keep their camp fired up and spending money because those darn Republicans are going to take away your rights. So it's all about right. Everybody's talking about rights. And it's just we don't have this nuanced conception of where the line is because I really think the pro-choice camp has already won. I think that the pro-life, I think the, the concept of conception is so extreme. I don't think many people are there anymore. And, and there is Roe versus Wade, and there is already legalities. We just need to figure out where the cutoff is to end this divisive debate and move on to things that are so much more important, in my opinion. I guess well, the next question is, what is the line, right? Because if I'm listening to this and I'm super one way or the other, I'm really into this, and I'm, I'm a little aghast either way at everything you're saying, I think the next question, if I was a listener, would be, where is that line? think you can explain that and that'll help a lot. It, it's, su it's super easy. Okay. And, and, that, and that to me is the mo easiest part of this. And, and again, I don't think there are many people on the extremes. I think a lot of people are hanging with us in this conversation. They're not offended. They're curious. And they probably are thinking the same thing because I talk to a lot of people and I have a lot. I'm in Washington state you guys are the blue state conversations, right? So you guys talk to a lot of people that would consider themselves liberal, you mm -hmm. know, Biden voters. I never talk to anybody that doesn't think third trimester abortion isn't gross, makes them cringe a little bit because there's an immoral aspect to it. I don't think that you can talk to many people in red states that don't have a religious fervor to them that wouldn't agree that a woman, that's her body, her choice, there's a right. So it's a great question. What is that line? To me, it's all about viability. And with modern science, that viability number keeps coming down. So, mm -hmm. so I looked it up and some people will say heartbeat. Well, heartbeat starts beating at five to six weeks. They have to use some extreme instruments just to detect the heartbeat. So I don't think that works very well. What I think works well is viability outside the womb. Okay. So with modern science, 22 weeks is where the zygote, that future baby, becomes a living baby. About 22 weeks. That's five and a half months. Now, the rate of survivability isn't that high at 22 weeks. If you skip forward to 26 weeks, that's where it has the best 
great for survival. That's where that viability is kind of solidified a little bit. And, and I've talked to people when we talk about third trimester abortions, things like that, they say, oh, well, you know, what if this case and that case and this case? Well, instead of abortion, why don't we just call it delivery? There's plenty of social services. If somebody doesn't want the baby, there's plenty of people out there that would adopt. That would be a necessary role for government to provide adoption, to provide some sort of vehicle for this delivered baby to find a loving home. So that's the word that I think people should use is viability. So I want to pop in here for, for a little bit. So it's very interesting to, to hear you discuss this. I kind of wanted to wait and get through those first few questions before having a discussion about viability. So to give you a little bit of a background about myself, I'm actually currently with my wife, we're currently in the process of our second pregnancy. And the one thing that I learned about the first one was very much how the process works because my wife got really deep into it. And I thought it was kind of funny because she told me that after the child is delivered, they sometimes refer to the delivery to the next three months as the fourth trimester, which is cute because everybody knows there's three trimesters. And the, the thing that I learned about that fourth trimester is that my daughter was just as helpless, probably more helpless outside of the womb than she was inside the womb because she was protected and fed in the womb and she didn't have anything. I mean, if she peed, she would have just drank it. So, you know, like there's that. And so when it comes to viability from that perspective as a parent, I'm now very aware of the fact that my child was viable when they were born, but they would have also straight up died if we didn't care for them. And so- the longer that I facilitate as feeling like a parent, the more the viability, it starts to feel like I agree. That's one of those things like in the middle ground, I agree. Child needs to be viable. And in the definition that we use as viable is that they can survive outside the womb. And then the longer I feel as a parent, I go viable is that like that sliding scale where they wouldn't survive outside the womb without care anyway. And then I, I keep thinking about how if that sliding scale of viability is going to keep going backward until we hit a point where they're four weeks old and if we pulled them out and put them on a sack on the wall and had a scientific instrument feed them, that that child would process and be a living child after, after that point. Like that's, that's where we're going, right? You know, someday down the road, science delivers a situation where nobody actually carries babies anymore. And so that's, but that's so much further down the line, right? So I think when we talk about viability, it has to be that recognition that some people might religiously believe certain things, which is their right. But then we also have to balance that with how it impacts a woman. And so I feel like when we talk about the heartbeat versus 22 weeks versus birth, uh, part of why it's so muddy is because for people who are parents and they've gone through that process of having like a baby in their arms, they know that the child outside of the womb, at least for those first few months after delivery, was just as helpless as the child inside the womb. And I guess I'm curious what you would think about that statement. Well, yeah, I, I, not, not to be offensive, I just... No, that's it, fine. It, it, there's a gigantic slippery slope there. If I'm following what you're saying, well, then I guess special needs kids should just be led off to slaughter. You know, I guess we could do anything with the babies then. 
oh, well, I didn't like this one. I cries too much. I don't want to take care of it anymore. So I guess it's okay to put them down. Is, is that where you're going? I mean, kind of the opposite, where our society has the feeling that if they're not viable, then they're not worth keeping around. You know, like I, you know, yes. the example you brought up where if the child has special needs, then we should just get rid of them. I went and visited a website that had information about abortions, and it literally had a pop-up that said, if you come to one of our facilities, don't mention anything related to like your reason being because there's special needs because we can't give you an abortion if you say that. Okay, and interesting. I, I was really like blown away by the concept that it, we might communicate that concept. Now, yeah. I had the opposite circumstance. My son was showing markers of a genetic defect, okay? And we were getting to, oh boy, I think it was the three-month stage they did some tests. They, I think they actually did an in vitro test, stuck the needle all the way in. and we were So they waiting. must have already be concerned about it then. Yes. Well, there, was, there were some markers and I won't go into all the details, but so we came down to that. There was a line, my life partner and I, we had a line right there at three months, came down to where we had to make a decision. And yeah. science didn't really help us. My son had what's called an emphalocele uh, where the appendix didn't, uh, sorry, it's been so long. It's been 15 years. I'm not regurgitating the information. Anyways, <laughs> we knew that when he was uh, born, he was going to have some issues that he would immediately have to go to surgery. So we knew that. Sure. Then they also started talking about these genetic markers that they weren't very clear about. So we had to make a decision and it was a private decision. I don't think that they, I guess we weren't necessarily discussing abortion with the doctors who were talking about the genetic markers, but it seemed very clear why the information was being given to us. And mm -hmm. we made the decision to continue on. My son had one of the, the best emphalocele's you could ever had. Surgery went super well. Turns oh. out the genetic marker, you know, if we look down at my big toe and it's very far separated from the toe next to it, which is <laughs> apparently a genetic marker for a mm. defect. And my son has the same thing. He's great. Um, oh that, you know, doing fantastic at 15 years old now. That's wonderful. So, so I guess I kind of understand now a little bit more of what you're saying. You weren't going with the slippery slope of why no. to, to rid. Uh, I, I have to go back, though, because I'm a libertarian and, and I believe very much in rights. Mm -hmm. And that zygote, that little thing that's in the womb, is very much a part of the woman's body. And whether it's three months, you might be a person that wants to push back and say, hey, you know, we need to push it all the way down to three months or whether it's six and a half months. We have to try to find that line. And what I'm saying from the beginning is with the divisive issue is I don't mm -hmm. think people are having this conversation very often. It's either for or against, just like my employee. But when I talked to her about third trimester abortion, the look on her face was like, oh, you know, this horror, right? So she's pro-abortion, but the look on her face said, well, no, of course, within reason. I think most people are that way. It's either for or against with a lot of middle ground to try to find where we can all get along. Let, let me give you another statistic. So this is taken from 2015 information. And 1.3% of abortions performed in the United States in 2015 1.3% happened after 21 weeks. 
91.1% were before 13 weeks. 7.6% were between 14 to 20 weeks. So 98.7% of abortions performed were even earlier than this viability marker that I gave, 26 weeks, six and a half months. So are we really battling over 1.3%? Most likely, yes. I mean, that's that's how the, the conversations end up, where people will go like with the slippery slope of like, what about rape and incest and use that as the reason to discuss like all abortion up to nine months, even though as you just said, like those perceptions of how it actually goes down isn't usually the case. It doesn't reflect reality. And as you said, most people aren't having this discussion. From my perspective, women absolutely have the choice to do with what they want with their bodies. And the only reason why we would put a restriction on the on abortion on when you can have it is to make sure people aren't doing things like third trimester abortions where we know the child feels pain, they'd be viable. And there's really no point to actually do that when you could deliver the baby and have somebody adopt them. So it's more like we put laws in place in order to protect people from doing hurtful things to other people. But at the same point, we have to respect the woman and where she's at. And so I think it's interesting because from where I think about where that comes into play is I don't know, like you said, like I don't know where between three months and six months should that law be put in place to say to somebody, hey, that person that's in your body, like they are a person, but up to a certain point, it is your right to decide what to do about it, even if that means ending that person's life. And we don't call it murder because they're not actually viable outside of the womb. I, I don't like to get into the concept of like, oh, well, if somebody killed that person right now, then it would be a double homicide. Well, it could be considered that considering the woman hasn't, she's currently holding the child right now. So there's potentially the idea that they would carry that child to full term. So it, it's interesting because people come up with these different extremes to try to put forth their perception when we should really be talking about this in reality, which is, okay, you have rights and I have rights and we want to make good choices together and limit the poor choices, but recognize that we can't all just legislate our morality against that's other right. people. And, and I think that that's at the heart of why I get so upset about these issues that go on for decade after decade after decade. And I say this all the time. It might confuse people, but there's no high dives in high school swimming pools anymore. <laughs> we, we've created laws and regulations for the very small, that 1.3%. And, and I'm tired of it. I, I just am tired of it. And I want to also be clear because I haven't said something. And I know that a lot of the people that are on the right-hand side, right, that, that really don't like abortions and they have uncomfortable even talking about the woman's rights, okay? With this law, with this law, when we decide where viability is, where this cutoff is that's acceptable to society, and that's why we have lawmakers, they represent us, they're representatives, it would be murder. Let's be very clear, murder for the doctor, murder charges for the woman, after that particular time frame. So you solidify, you solve everything. You solidify the rights under federal law for a woman's right to choose up until a certain point. And then you make that penalty murder because that is now a life that you're extinguishing. I, I don't see any other way to get beyond it. But if we don't have these mature conversations where we try to settle on 
what this cutoff is, we're never going to get beyond it. What's going to happen with the night? We saw the strangeness that was the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, right? Mm-hmm. We've got another Supreme Court issue. And what nobody ever says is that Congress right now could settle the issue by making a law. By just making a law, set the issue, and it's done. And people could, will, would have to live with it. And that's what we have. That's why they are representatives. Unfortunately, as I said in the beginning, I think that the representatives get a lot of charge, get a lot of fundraising ability. They stake a lot to this divisive issue that propels them forward. And it's just a constant game. I'm sorry to put it that way, but I think that if we have these mature conversations with level-headed adults, which we are, that's the Mm -hmm. point of a democracy, so people can bring in their situations. I think your comment about, hey, what about when you can take that two-month two-month-old fetus, slap it on a little goo bag on a wall in a hospital, put a tube into it and raise it, you know, what happens then? I don't know. We're a long ways away from that point, but right now with the modern technology we have, and, and it's been that way for a long time where seven, eight months premature babies live and do well. So mm-hmm. I am tired of it. I think that we need to solve these issues and we need to try to force our legislators, our representatives to do their job. Their job should not be campaigning and using divisive issues like this to campaign. Their job should be to solve these issues. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting how you tied it to the money and we've carried that through to now because what it sounds like to me is we're never going to be able to actually force our legislators to do this unless there was a convention of the states at some point, because just as they have no interest in writing in term limits for themselves, they have no interest in reducing the capital coming in the door. Yeah. And there is another way. There is another way. And that's the state's rights. I'm a big libertarian, so I'm all about state's rights. Okay. And what I understand from Roe versus Wade is that it gives that woman the right And then there is the term viability is used where the states can put restrictions upon Mm -hmm. abortions. So perhaps the way to do it is is much like let's use a a silly example, but something that's tangential. But cannabis legislation, cannabis has has, there's a movement among the states to legalize cannabis. Right. Right. Well, some states, you could get coalitions in your local area to come up with um scientific, uh, well-established, well-written laws surrounding abortion and try to give a platform and a playbook, if you will, that other states can use. Next thing you know, the states might be able to take care of the issue all on their own. I definitely think that the state's taking care of it is something because what Roe v. Wade found is that in the First Amendment, there's a right to privacy and because the 14th Amendment requires states to follow rights found in the Bill of Rights and anywhere else in the Constitution, that the woman's right to privacy included her right to choose. Therefore, you can only place restrictions that do not cause an undue burden. So it's, it's almost like firearms, right? You're not supposed to put an undue burden on a firearm. Right? You, can, you, can't, you can say that you're allowed to have a permit for free speech, but you can't make it a burdensome process to get that permit for like a, a rally or something like that. So that's where the Roe v. Wade decision. That's why a lot of people criticize it because they're wondering where in the First Amendment the right to privacy shows up. So that's where you get a lot of the criticism of it. But I do want to 
because you've made a couple of, of points here. You've explained it really well on just how you're positioned. But as somebody hanging over on the Catholic conservative side, a couple of the questions that usually would come up when we hit this point when I'm talking with others is if we have the viability line and we agree to that, does that line hold for any other point in life or is that not a logical conclusion? Uh, help me rephrase it another way. And let's just name a viability line for this conversation. Let's say it's six and a half months, 26 weeks. So we've right, decided, so 20, okay, right, 26 weeks. Because there's weeks, a high rate of survival outside of the womb. That's right. So we've decided 26 weeks, it becomes murder. Before 26 weeks, it's your absolute right to get an abortion. Right. So then why would it not be the case, say, you have a parent who is not capable of living on their own? For example, my grandmother had a stroke and she was not capable of functioning on her own. She needed constant help and a live-in nurse and everything for, before she died. Right. Why could we not end her life? That would be a question that a lot of times that question will come up. Mm. So why is it that the viability for the baby is at this point, but not at any other point? In life? I, I appreciate that question. I think it does. I th did you use the term it muddies? It does muddy a bit. It is tangential. I think talking about a baby that's defenseless versus someone who's lived their life and now finds themselves in a defenseless position, I think there would be separate laws for that person versus this baby. I, I don't see why we couldn't separate those issues. Yeah, I think it's because the moral idea of viability behind it, if you're accepting viability as the argument for the baby, why are we not accepting viability as the argument? But in this, for... but in this case, for this specific case, we're using viability. For your case, somebody would argue that's a ridiculous argument to use viability. We're using this just as a tool to create some sort of scientific, some sort of consensus on where a woman's right transfers over and that baby now has a right. I think right? what's interesting here is to say that viability is the wrong word to describe somebody who is older and not able to take care of themselves or live that type of a life that they'd like to be living. Well, you, viability is at any point, right? Because I could be comatose, right? I'm not, I'm on a breathing machine. I'm not viable, right? But it, it, where do my rights go at that point? Like that would be the, the, the question in terms of the moral mm. and just natural law side of things. I, we've been saying rights a lot. So I guess that would kind of be, when does a human get their rights? I'm guessing we all generally agree that there are human rights that apply throughout our lives. So when do we get those? Yeah, and I think that is the crux and the heart of the question. What I really want to do with this conversation is I'm trying to give a bridge to the religious conservatives to allow compromise. And the way that I see ending this issue is typically those religious conservatives are also conservatives by nature, more on the libertarian side of things. So if you can see this issue from another perspective and that other perspective being the rights of this woman, right? So you can't subjugate someone's rights for the sake of another. I think that you can bring them up to a line where you create it. And then from the moral standpoint, I think you can bring people that, I mean, I haven't, honestly, I've never met anybody that argues for abortion up until birth. I think it's this outlier. It's this 1% that doesn't really exist. I think you can bring them down 
with this viability argument. So it's a two-pronged approach. It's a, you know, it's a single way of bringing these two groups together. The one group that I think needs to be brought along the most are the religious right that think they're fighting for this righteous cause, saving this baby, whatnot. I think that if you interjected with them and logically talked to them about the rights of a woman, we could start having conversations about, oh, if a life starts at conception, then I guess we should have a funeral every time, you know, someone has a miscarriage into a toilet. Okay. I don't mean to be gross, but that happens. <laughs> that happens all the time. There's all kinds of pregnancies that, 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 don't, that don't go past a couple weeks, right? Mm -hmm. And they pass personally in a bathroom somewhere. If we can't talk about this in, in layman's terms, in, in frank terms, then we're never going to go anywhere. And I think that's where these grifters, if you will, right, the people that are campaigning on these issues, they don't want people to have the frank conversations to come together because they're being empowered so much by presenting the issue as if it is black or white. You're either for this or you're against that. They don't ever want to have this conversation that we're having that's difficult. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's gross, but it does need to be had. Yeah, I think what would happen at this point, you do make a good point. There are a lot of pregnancies that do not end with a baby that is born and delivered and then becomes an adult, right? There are miscarriages, um, ectopic pregnancies. There's all sorts of pregnancies that don't end with the natural delivery at nine. But usually, what if you you know if you're following a lot of the pro-life leaders, their argument here is not that the right of a woman has been, you know, imposed upon. It's that abortion is the intentional ending of a human life, and that as a baby, it's not part of the woman's body, right? So since the baby has its own set of rights, then you can't impose on the baby's set of rights unless there is some imposition on the other right, such as the life of the mother, right? So almost every pro-lifer will automatically, um, robotically repeat life of the mother anytime there's an argument. So I guess my question for that is, if we're talking, you know, we're, I, don't, I haven't seen a pro-life law that says miscarriages are going to be counted as the same. I don't think that's really out there. But in terms of why is it that we view the baby as part of the mother, if it's because how, how is that biologically going to make sense? Because if it's not part of the mother, then it has its own set of rights. If you're a conservative and you're on, right. So how would you, ex I, I think it's, I, again, I think it's at the heart of what we're talking about is there has to be some sort of line. There has to be some sort of line where it crosses, where that crosses over from being a part of the woman's body. And that is her right, her body, her choice to, okay, if we could deliver this right now, this baby, we could deliver this right now. This is a baby. This has a high percent chance of survival in the hospital. That now, that's a burden a woman has to carry through term or not. Go to the hospital and have a delivery. You see what I'm saying? Once that choice mm -hmm. is there to deliver, not abort, but to deliver with that high rate of survival, then that's that line we're talking about. And I get where you're coming from. This is what people would say. What I would like to do and I, is if we could have a poll and we could go and talk to people and find out just how many people like believe what you're saying. Because I really do believe that it's on the fringes. If you presented them with this conversation, 
how many people would still be, nope, no abortion, no time, that's a precious life, save the children, right? I think that it would be an extremely small percentage. I, I really do. I think, that, I think that far more people have come along to this than you might think. Yeah, I think where that comes out of is that we'd have to have people recognize that you can believe what you want to believe, but we make laws to phase out the really bad decisions that we all agree are immoral. And so you can, we could shift this by having Congress do an action there and be able to discuss and say, okay, even though some of you believe that life begins at conception or the heartbeat, whatever, and other people, they have rights to decide with when or what they would get an abortion. Well, where do we bridge that gap and say, okay, you can feel that way, but at such and such, you know, at 26 weeks, this is where we decide this. And now if we create a law that says this, now you need to fight this on the social front and not the legal front. You need to start fully going into, because they've bought into having like a pregnancy resource center, but you need to take that and go full throttle where you need to be able to communicate to people that we will help you and we will give you the next direction and do our best to help you with that. And so it's difficult because as far as, you know, Matthew is presenting it, there's no wiggle room in the way that uh, that's being presented that life begins at conception. And what we have to say is that might be true for what you believe, but that's not true for what we impose on women. That's right. And if you want people to respect what you believe, you also have to respect what they believe. That's the individual rights. I just wonder, and I would love to find this out. I would love to see an honest poll to just to find out how many people are there at conception with no wiggle room of getting to even three months. If we could just get people to three months, like put that in a poll, and I'd love to see how many people would say, yep, no way, no abortions ever. I, I don't, I think that that extreme opinion is amplified. I think that that's part of this grift. I think that extreme opinion is amplified, packaged, and sold to you for the campaigning purposes. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously for myself, as a Catholic, that's what the Catholic Church would say. And usually what we would answer at this point is that the woman's choice happens before conception, right? That, that's where the choice is. So if you ever listen to like Matt Walk, for example, that the choice happens before conception. So once you've conceived, you've already made your choice, right? And, you're, you're, and this is the natural consequences, which is a very natural law sort of argument. But I, I think you're, you are making a good point about where exactly can we um, come together? Because I would actually agree with you that a lot of people were very much in the middle, like the majority. I think a lot of people really agreed with safe, legal, and rare. I really think that was true. I think where a lot of the polarization is coming from now, because you actually saw the pro-life numbers jump, the the percent like the percentage of women skyrocketed over the last like ten years. Yeah, was when it started becoming that more and more clear that a lot of it was elective abortion, and a lot of it was later on in the pregnancy. Because I I think what a lot of people thought was abortion was for is, you know, the sixteen-year-old whose boyfriend got her pregnant then mm -hmm. dumped her, whose parents kicked her out of the house, right? And that's what abortion was for, or the girl whose dad raped her, right? That we thought, okay, we're going to have abortion for that. And then that's kind of why we need it. And then it started seeming more like, actually, a lot of these are like middle-aged married women who should be able to take care of the kid. And I think that's where you saw the numbers started going the other way. Because I think we're up to a little bit over 40% of women 
a pro-life now, and it's up from around 28%, I believe, at the turn of uh, the century. But I do think you're right that a lot of people would feel fine with something in the middle. Yeah. I think a lot of people would feel that way. I think that's why a lot of um, people feel okay with the heartbeat pills. Yeah, I'm just tired of the this or that, pro or against. And why don't we start discussing between, you just brought up heartbeat. You'll start the conversation, fine. Start it at six weeks. Put six to 30 weeks. And let's figure out somewhere in the middle. I think it should be somewhere between three and six and a half. That's myself personally. That's where I think the argument would end up going. I just want to have more conversations like this where adults are in the room and we can come up with something because it's never going to end. And it's, and again, I, I worry about the corrupt, nefarious reasons for why this continues to per- perpetuate. I worry about the, the political logic of this argument. Yeah. yeah I think no, that kind of takes us to where, like, if we want to bring down the temperature on abortion, we have to actually make changes happen at the federal level and stop making this something that we discuss every single year, year after year. It needs to have real change. Yeah. And that's the solution that I come up with. I think it's difficult because again, our representatives don't seem to represent us anymore. They don't seem to want to tackle really tough issues (laughs) and solve them. Right. So at least I think your, your final question is, okay, where, where do we go from here? Where do we go forward? Yeah. And, And I, I think that accurate, honest polling, I think that we need more people to say bravo to a conversation like this and come out and say, yeah, you know what? I'm Catholic, but I absolutely respect a woman's right to choose. I don't think it should be after this date. If more people started talking about it like this, right, or, or even a pro-choice person to come out and say, yeah, it's a woman's right to choose her body, her choice, but boy... After 28 weeks, I can't support that. There's Mm -hmm. more people to start talking about the nuance, even if they are already in a camp, this or that, you know, pro, anti, and say, well, I'm anti, but I do kind of understand that other people have other beliefs, but boy, anything anything after the heartbeat really bothers me. You're now getting them to move a little bit, just, just for the sake of society. Because it's not going away, right? You, and I think you, you just gave numbers that a lot more people have become pro-life. I would really like to see that study. Because at the same time, there's this huge women's rights movement where I, I think they've used the boogeyman. They're trying to take away a, abortion. The reproductive rights have become a big thing. And I would question that polling. I would want to see honest polling. So whether we came up with, um, may, maybe we could do that. Maybe in the future, Matthew and William, you, you guys and I, we can come up with some sort of poll. We'll phrase it. We'll figure out the exact language and present it. And then we'll promote it through our shows and ask people and put it out on Twitter and ask people to respond and just kind of do our own just to figure it out. I think that it starts locally and then it builds. I'm not talking about anything revolutionary. I'm just talking about having a conversation to end this divisive this terrible, de- it's, I can't, you can't even call it a debate because no one's having a debate. It's not a debate. No. It's, and that's, it's that's this, the point of both our shows, actually. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's it, not a debate anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a campaign issue. 
And I think where we can take this is I would encourage our listeners to have conversations with other people and be willing to talk about these questions that we brought to Jay. So the first two that I would be open to talking with somebody about is what is your position on abortion, hearing where they have to say, and then actually asking that next question, which is if abortion is not before conception or up till birth, where does that line fall? And seeing where they take that conversation, because once you move past the position of are you for or against, that's where it opens up the nuance of the conversation that we've had over the last 45 minutes or so. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow.